Welcome to the Mad Max Minute presents Water's End, a reading of Peter Rader's 1991 polished second revision of Waterworld. Due to coarse language and depictions of violence, listener discretion is advised. Our story begins on a makeshift floating community where tragedy is lurking just over the horizon. This is part one, Drifters on an Endless Sea. The warming age began after the great thaw of the Cold War. Free markets heated up and the ice caps slowly melted. Little by little, the globe became one seamless ocean. The survivors scavenged rafts, buoys, anything that could float. As hope of finding water's end slowly faded, sweet water became scarce and the wars began anew. Fade in on the Earth. The round blue planet is seen from space, a familiar image, but something about it is different. There are no continents, no land whatsoever. Only water, nothing but water. We begin moving in on the blue globe, descending into it as if on a spaceship closer and closer. Now the screen is filled with blueness. Dissolve to the ocean. A sweeping panorama of waves kissed by the golden halo of sunrise, sublime and balmy. Not a vessel in sight. We begin to pan along the gently curving horizon, empty ocean in every direction. Now, at the end of our 360-degree pan, we finally reveal Oasis. A floating community, several dozen vessels of all shapes and sizes tied together bow to stern in a large ring. They are connected by planks and bridges. We move closer. There are boats of every description, tugs, trawlers, Chinese junks, river barges. Most are simply houseboats for the various families. But others seem to be rigged for communal needs, like the barter boat with its electricity-generating windmill, the school boat, which doubles as a chapel, and the vegetable barge, where rows of bizarre-looking hybrid seaweed are growing in special hydroponic tanks. In the water, near a sloop, an angelic though impish girl of twelve is scraping barnacles from the hull, collecting them in a basket. This is Enola. She grabs a fat one and sucks out the meat. Enola! Lunchtime! Helen, a striking if somewhat intense young woman in her late twenties, approaches the rail and looks down at Enola in the water. I made kelp salad. We always have kelp salad. It's good for you. I'm not hungry. Have you been eating those barnacles again? Those are for later. Come on, dolphin. Anola makes a face and climbs up the rope ladder with her basket of barnacles. Helen has set the table under a canopy with clamshells and other scavenged china. She dries off Anola with a towel and begins to oil her body with whale blubber. Anola is squirming and fidgeting. Stop that. Do you want to turn red like a lobster? Helen takes some fresh-colored powder from a small urn and mixes it with the oil, making a paste. She begins to apply the paste to Enola's left shoulder, concealing a small, round tattoo. It is crescent-shaped, with a triangular nick in the concave arc. Why do you have to do that every time? I like to see it. So does every traitor that ever drifted past us. I don't want you looking different from any other kid. Besides, it keeps it from fading. It doesn't mean anything anyway. Someday you'll remember. Just then, Anola notices something bounce over the rail onto the deck. Is it a flying fish? No, wait, it's walking over to her. Her jaw drops, eyes go wide. <gasps> Look! Helen glances over. It's a bird. Oh my god, it can't be! They move over towards the bird, which coos nervously and backs away. Helen reaches out smoothly and picks it up. Do you remember ever seeing one? I've seen them in my dreams! They smile at each other, 
Just then, a loud gong resounds three times across the water. Helen's expression becomes grim. The lookout post. High up in the tallest crow's nest, a lookout repeats the three-gong warning, gazing out to sea with his spyglass. Approaching fleet! East-southeast! On Helen. She grabs Enola's hand. Let's go. Aerial angle. A panoramic overview, we see men and women of Oasis scrambling into a well-rehearsed routine. Helen and Enola race up and down across the planks that connect the boats towards a central platform where many people are gathering. A man is passing out weapons, another is rounding up the children. The platform. Helen approaches a tough-looking woman with short, spiked hair. This is Angel, her sister. Helen holds up the bird. Jesus. Other people move in for a look, crowding around with stunned expressions. Troy, a boy of 16, looks on in wonder. What's that? It's called a bird. They swim through the air. Wait, we must be near water's end. That's where those things came from. Rodney, a nervous man with frightened eyes, pushes his way to the front. Great timing. We're about to be slaughtered. Don't say that. We have to win, that's all. We can't let them find it before us. How many times have we rehearsed for this? We're going to give them the fight of their lives. Yeah! That's right. We are tough. And now we have some extra incentive. Everybody cheers, waving their guns and makeshift weapons. Let's kick some pirate butt. Cut to a few miles away. The approaching fleet shoots ahead full throttle. A mean assembly of pirates on crafts of every description. The charge is led by men on attack aqua cycles. Their handlebars outfitted with swiveling 25mm guns. Behind them in tight formation is the infantry, a rabid assortment of killers on motorized surfboards attached to cigarette boats. When the time comes, they'll unbuckle their harnesses and shoot off solo. Then the artillery. Four matching swamp skiffs with outrigged airplane props. Large mortars are bolted to the foredecks. Water skiers are being towed behind each boat. Various deadly weapons dangling from their wetsuits. Finally, the command hovercraft brings up the rear. Cut back to Oasis. Simon, an ancient man of at least 80, is leading the children onto the hold of a trawler. No need to panic now. Wait a minute. It's Angel. She walks up to Troy, who looks scared. You just turned 16, didn't you, kid? Yes. You have to fight. Troy looks anxiously at Simon. Those are the rules, Troy. Don't worry. I'll take care of him. Follow me. Cut to another part of the ring. Helen races along hand in hand with Enola. They come to the vegetable barge, where Helen pulls an oil drum out of a recess. She lifts the lid and Enola climbs inside the barrel. Helen hands her the bird. Take the bird, too. I don't want them to find it. Helen grabs an oxygen canister and checks the valve. She puts it in the barrel with Enola. It's set so you have air for an hour. Don't touch the valve. If you overpressurize, they might see the bubbles. You said we were going to win. So why do I have to hide? A little tear begins to snake its way down Enola's cheek. Go on, Dolphin. Be brave. She reaches inside a pouch and pulls out two circular glass pendants, clear crystal medallions protected in leather sleeves. Helen hands the smaller one to Enola. Remember these? Our lucky amulets. As long as we wear them, we'll never be separated, right? Right. Enola puts it around her neck. Helen does likewise. They hug. Then Enola ducks inside the barrel. Helen secures the rubber gasket and the lid. She heaves the oil drum over the edge of the barge, and a thin nylon rope pays out as it sinks. The Pirates 
We are back in the thick of the attacking vessels, blasting ahead at breakneck speed. The roar of the engines is deafening. White water splashes around us wildly. The pirates are screaming demonically as combat adrenaline surges through their veins. A mile ahead, Oasis looks doomed. Cut two. A series of close-up shots, pre-battle montage. Rodney is prepping one of the defensive cannons, an old relic, Spanish galleon style. He pours in some gunpowder and loads the massive ball. Other men and women load bullets into rusting revolvers. Survival knives are strapped to thighs, spear guns pumped up. Angel and Troy have taken positions on a barge. They are placing the Molotov cocktails on the deck at even intervals. You good with guns, kid? I'm scared. Cut to the pirate aqua cycles. Camera is on the handlebars of the lead bike looking back at the bloodthirsty mob. We bounce insanely as the cycle surges over the waves and smacks down into the troughs. Carlos, the driver, cackles like a madman. He's the first pirate we've seen close up, and he is scary. Tribal-style war paint smeared across his face, a pierced nose with a large fishbone, his hair a shock of blue flying back like satanic flames. On his forehead, a self-inflicted triangular scar, and his eyes, they are beyond description, a quasi-primordial post-punk. Cut to a houseboat. Helen straps a flamethrower onto her shoulders. She crouches beside the outside rail and looks out towards the approaching horde, almost within range. Come on, you bastards. Aerial angle. The pirate vessels surround Oasis and all hell breaks loose. The artillery mortars bombard the flotilla with cover smoke. Surfers peel off from the cigarette boats and blast through the smoke, firing at everything in sight. Rodney tries to aim his cannon, but is blinded by the smokescreen. Before he can react, a surfer bursts through with a lasso. Rodney hurries to intercept him. In the water, the skimmers kick into full gear, sending the parasailers high into the air. They spray down bullets, picking off the defenders like flies. Next, the drivers cut their engines and the parasailers glide down onto the defenseless ringboats. On the barge, Troy cowers below the rail, trembling uncontrollably. Bullets ricochet and splinter the wood like shrapnel. Angel is hidden behind some barrels. A parasailer comes gliding down out of the sky. Angel jumps up and nails him with her machete. She tosses Troy a flint striker. Come on, kid! Get the fireworks going! Underwater, in the barrel. It is perfectly quiet and womb-like, but Enola is clearly apprehensive. She clutches her glass pendant and shuts her eyes, petting the nervous bird. Meanwhile, above... Men and women exchange fire with the pirates. They are heavily outnumbered, outgunned. Many of the boats have already been boarded. On the barge, Troy strikes the flint and lights one of the bombs. He lobs it out at a passing cigarette boat and ducks as boom! A colossal fireball surges upward. Angel gives him the thumbs up. Troy looks at her in terror. That's what those things do? On the houseboat, a water skier is headed straight towards Helen. She pulls the trigger on the flamethrower. Nothing. The water skier takes aim. Helen bangs her tanks. Is she out of gasoline? Suddenly, a stream of flame bursts out of the nozzle, knocking her backward. The skier catches fire, screaming in agony as he continues to be dragged along like a flaming comet. Helen starts to get back to her feet, but doesn't notice. Behind her, a large pirate is closing in. It's Carlos. In a flash, he grabs her by the arm and whips a large scythe around her throat. Helen instinctively resists, but he presses the blade against the flesh, drawing a trickle of blood. You wanna die? She stops moving. He paws her breasts with a vicious smile. 
Helen's eyes falter. Suddenly, she swoons, fainting. He reaches for her. But she's faking. Helen spins around and slams him with her gasoline tanks. He sprawls across the deck, and Helen turns to barbecue him. But the trigger is stuck again. He leaps to his feet and charges with his razor-sharp scythe. Helen ducks the first blow by inches, but the return swing gorges her in the gut. Her eyes go wide with shock as she grabs her bleeding stomach with her hand. Carlos prepares for the final blow, decapitation. Slow motion now, the scythe slicing the air. Helen hesitates. It's all or nothing. The lethal blade, Carlos's eyes, Helen surges, intercepts it with the flamethrower nozzle. Clang! As metal scrapes metal. She dives backward, over the rail, into the water, agony on her face as salt water finds the wound. Slow motion, underwater scream. Dissolved too, 20 minutes later. The battle is over. A massacre. All the survivors have been rounded up on the vegetable barge. They are huddled together, shivering quietly, separated into two groups. Women and young boys on one side, men, infants, and old people on the other. Several pirates guard them with automatic weapons. The bounty, jugs and barrels of fresh water, desalination units, solar distillers, nautical instruments, weapons, gasoline, dried food, and so on, is arranged in neat rows. A rogue is inspecting it. He is Dieter. His left hand has been replaced by prosthetic metal pincers. Angel whispering to a woman standing beside her. You seen my sister? She shakes her head. Angel turns to look at the group of men prisoners. She makes eye contact with Troy, who has been sequestered with them. He looks petrified. The command hovercraft eases up to the dock. Two thugs jump to secure the stern and bow lines. The large, vertical hinged door swings open with a thud. A figure emerges. Huge. Six eight at least. Hip-length hair. Yellow, not blonde, balloon yellow. He has a solid gold triangle attached to his forehead, and his cape is a dense mesh of bird feathers. Meet Laszlo, Lord of the Pirates. A young man rushes up to meet him. He's Helmet, also unique in appearance. One of his eyes is blue, the other is green. They must have hidden her. Don't worry. Meanwhile, in the barrel, Enola is panting, out of breath. The bird coos nervously and flaps its wings. She looks at the oxygen canister. Insert the gauge is nearing the red danger zone. Back on the platform, Laszlo moves forward and addresses the prisoners. Take me to your leader. No one speaks. Laszlo surveys the faces before him. We have no leader. It's a roundtable democracy. Spoken like a leader. Laszlo yanks him away from the others. The crowd reacts with concern as Laszlo manhandles the old man. Your people are very loyal. This is good. Above all, a leader needs loyalty. No? Let me show you. A torch. Helmet douses a torch with some gasoline and lights it with a flint striker. He marches up to Laszlo, awaiting instructions. Your hand, please. Helmet nods grimly, then without hesitation puts his hand in the flame. Hovering there, unflinching, he grits his teeth. Laszlo watches calmly. Helmet's hand is blistering. He begins to shake. Thank you. Helmet pulls back his hand and plunges it into the water. Laszlo turns back to Simon. That is my son. What does that tell you about me? You're a monster. Exactly. Now, let's get to business. We heard that you have a little girl here. A little girl with a little tattoo. I want her. 
Are you afraid of death? He wouldn't kill an old man. In the background, Rodney begins to tremble. He's going to kill us all, don't you see? Suddenly, he breaks free from the others and dives off the platform into the ocean. Immediately, several guards pepper the water with gunfire. Carlos moves towards a submerged steel cage floating alongside one of the pirate boats. He yanks open a hinged doorway and instantly a black shark fin makes a beeline for the escaping man, sucking out a leash of steel webbing. The water foams up with blood. Carlos cranks a large winch to recoil the leash and haul the thrashing shark dog back into its cage. In the barrel, the gauge is nearly empty. Anola begins to panic, hyperventilate. She opens the valve all the way and bangs the metal drum with her fist. Underwater, a small trickle of bubbles begin to ascend from the escape valve on the barrel. We follow them up to the surface. Bodies are floating like logs in slicks of oil and blood. A pirate is patrolling in a kayak, jabbing the bodies with a harpoon to make sure they're dead. Will he notice the bubbles? Suddenly, a body moves right in front of us. It's Helen. She's playing dead. Directly before her nose, a stream of bubbles is frothing up to the surface. She sneaks a glance around and makes a sudden decision, holding her breath, diving. Underwater, Helen follows the nylon cord down to the barrel. She bangs a signal on the lid, then works to remove the latches. The first one opens, but the other two are stuck, rusted. Inside the barrel, Anola gasps for breath. She's suffocating. Water begins seeping in through the crack, filling up the drum. On the platform, blam! Carlos has blasted away half of Simon's head with a pistol, point blank. Next volunteer, please. Underwater, the second latch finally snaps open. Helen is running out of breath. She pulls at the final latch with all her might, blue in the face. Above, the pirate in the kayak has spotted the bubbles. Over here! Several pirates converge on the adjacent platform. Below, in the barrel, Anola has passed out. The water level is up to her chin. Underwater, the latch is still frozen shut. Suddenly, Helen feels herself being hoisted up. Someone's pulling the cord from above. Helen looks up in panic. She attacks the latch with a renewed frenzy. Above, Laszlo and the others are gathered around as Dieter pulls up the barrel line. The barrel breaks the surface. Dieter wrenches off the cover with his mechanical hand and Laszlo peers inside. Just the bird. Laszlo picks it up and crushes it in his fist in disgust. Save me the feathers. Just then there's the sound of the hovercraft roaring to life. Laszlo spins to see his boat ripping away from its mooring, bursting through the flotilla toward the open sea. It blasts right through a bamboo-thatched boat, ripping it in two. That away, Helen! Immediately, several pirates pile into their cigarette boats and peel off in pursuit. Let's move out. Helmet directs the guards to escort the women and children prisoners toward a souped-up pirate trawler. The men and other rejects remain on the platform, guarded by sentries. Angel suddenly breaks ranks and grabs Troy from the man group, which seems to be staying behind. Hey! He's 13! He's a kid! What are you doing? Just keep quiet. Meanwhile, other pirates begin to load the bounty, water, gas, and so on, onto the slower boats. Cut to the distant hovercraft. Blasting ahead, full throttle. It's definitely fast enough, but will they have enough fuel? Three cigarette boats lag in the distance. Cut back to Oasis. Everything stowed, the last of the pirate boats peel off. The rejected men watch, unsure as the pirates retreat. The prisoner boat begins to pull away. Women and children watch their mates and fathers receding. Will they ever see them again? 
Troy looks at Angel. Why did you do that? We're prisoners. Shh. With all the pirate vessels at a safe distance from the platform of rejected men, Laszlo turns back with a bazooka. The men don't even have time for prayers before the entire platform explodes. Troy looks back in horror from the stern deck of the prisoner trawler. All the men of Oasis killed in an instant. It could have been him. Angel puts her arm around Troy's shoulder. Cut to inside the hovercraft. We are at the bridge, but no one is at the helm. It has been lashed down amidships. We notice Helen's flamethrower aimed sternward toward the fuel tanks. The trigger is tied in the firing position. Malfunction or not, sooner or later it will explode. The hovercraft rips apart in a massive fireball. Laszlo and Helmet approach the smoldering wreckage on a cigarette boat. My boat! So much for the girl from Water's End. Fade to black. Fade in on Bermuda shorts. Someone's crotch in a pair of well-worn khakis. The large survival knife sheathed over his left hip looks like it has recently tasted blood. He moves to unfasten his fly. His hands coarse and dehydrated, a manicurist's nightmare. A beaker. Fills up with urine. Pale yellow. No overdose of vitamins in this sample. Last few drops. He's done. Reaching in to grab the beaker. A plastic funnel. The top of some kind of contraption. A large translucent funnel connected to a rubber hose which weaves down through a series of valves and filters. He pours the urine into the machine and we follow its progress downwards. Through a paper filter, along a glass tube, down a rubber hose. Suddenly we come to something organic in the chain. A large, slimy, steaming kidney. The organ pulses with the flow of liquid, processing it, pumping it into the mechanical remainder of the contraption which concludes in a copper faucet. Somehow, a living organic kidney has been incorporated into this bizarre chain, but those familiar with anatomy will notice that it is backward. The urine is being forced into the wrong end of the kidney. Indeed, he places the beaker under the faucet and opens the spigot and outrushes pure, clean H2O. He's reversed the excretion process, turning urine into water. As he puts the beaker to his mouth and swigs it back in one gulp, we see his face for the first time. Rugged, weather-beaten, no sentimentality here. This is Morgan, a drifter in his early 40s. Morgan puts down the beaker and raises a pair of binoculars to his eyes. Binocular POV, a faint column of smoke rising several miles away on the horizon, his destination. Wide shot, we see his vessel, a river barge modified to fly a sail. Two cannons on either side, a rack of weapons, strands of kelp drying on shelves, barrels of water. The boat's name is faded, barely legible, the Miranda. We notice something bizarre pacing on the deck, a magnificent white stallion. In the distance, the burning wreckage appears closer, but still not distinct. Morgan adjusts his rudder slightly, trims his sail. Morgan moves to the center of the deck, where a series of oil drums are strapped together. Insert the barrels. They are labeled H2O. Morgan opens the lid of one, but instead of water, it's packed full of dynamite. There is a jerry-rigged trigger, a wire filament attached to a flint striker. Morgan secures it to the lid and gingerly closes the barrel. It's a booby trap. On Morgan. Satisfied, he grabs a spear gun and an oxygen canister from a locker. He takes another look with the binoculars. POV. Burning wreckage of a flotilla. The aftermath of battle. He pans south, checking the horizon. Whoa, what's that? 
a small motor sailor bearing down on his opportunity. It's another drifter, also looking to scavenge from the wreckage. Son of a bitch. Smash cut to a spinnaker. Surging out of its sail bag, the rainbow-colored nylon balloons upward with wind as Morgan hoists up the halyard. He rechecks his rival through the binoculars. Let's see you beat that, pal. There's a distant rumble. Morgan cups his hands behind his ears to hear better. An engine. Goddamn asshole. He races inside the bridge. The bridge. Morgan rummages below the counter for a can of gasoline. He swishes it around a few times. It's pretty low. Shit. He scrambles outside, the stern deck. Morgan leads the horse to a rotating yoke. He harnesses it in, slaps the horse's rump. It begins walking round and round, turning a gear which drives a jerry-rigged paddle wheel. Morgan grabs the yoke and pushes alongside the horse. The sound of the other guy's engine becomes tauntingly louder. Morgan looks at his rival. They are converging from different directions in a triangle, but his engine is at least five horsepower and Morgan's only got the one horse. It's hopeless. But now the engine sputters, coughs a few times, and dies. He's out of gas. Serves you right, gas-guzzling stinkpot. Binocular POV. A scrawny guy. Looks hungry. Morgan pans north about 200 yards away. The wreckage is looking more promising. It's at least two dozen ghost boats. Some burning, others ransacked. No survivors. Wide angle. Morgan grabs an acoustic megaphone from the stern locker. He moves to the port rail. Ahoy, drifter. I claim this flotsam. If you approach, I'll kill you. I repeat, keep away until I have sailed. Amid the smoke, later. We are surrounded by floating debris, the remains of the flotilla in the typical ring formation. The Miranda is drifting in the oily center water near a floating platform. Morgan drags out another contraption, some kind of slanted rubber conveyor belt. He sets it up on the stern, angling it into the water, attaches the horse to another harness, and the belt begins to move. The oil and water travel up the tilted belt, separating as they do. The heavier water slips back into the sea, the more viscous oil sticks to the rubber, and moves up the belt until it falls over the lip into a container that Morgan has set up. He's skimming oil. Morgan glances at the other drifter who waits patiently, sails lowered, about 50 yards away. He grabs his spear gun and leaps onto the nearby platform, tying down his barge with a loose line, leaving his horse to continue skimming. Morgan looks around at the ring of ghost vessels. Wind whistles through large holes in the hulls, gorged by stray artillery shells. A bridge door bangs open and closed, hanging from one hinge. In the distance, a windmill power generator squeaks round and round. We recognize this from Oasis. Morgan focuses his gaze on a severely charred platform across the way, all but burnt to a crisp. That's where he wants to go. He begins to make his way from ship to ship. They've been stripped clean of every conceivable scrap. Ne'er a cleat remains. Even the decking has been ripped up for scavenged lumber. The burnt platform. Morgan boards it with a grim expression. Amid the charcoal timbers are roasted human remains. Morgan picks up a skull with cool detachment. Still plenty of flesh. This was recent. He drops the skull, looks around for clues. Something catches his eye. He kneels down, picks it up. It's a feather. A feather attached to a fragment of cloth. Morgan stares at it. An intense expression. Unblinking, his eyes speak volumes. A boy. 
about four years old, somewhere else, another time, he's found a bird. One of his eyes is green, one is blue. He holds up the bird, a big smile. Daddy looks! An animal! Back to Morgan, thinking, staring at the feather. There's a thud. Morgan spins. It's the other drifter boarding the platform behind him. That little fucker! Morgan races to intercept him. The drifter drops his rope sheepishly. He's emaciated, looking like he hasn't eaten in weeks. Listen, stranger. I gave you fair warning. I kill people who cross me. You got it? Morgan cocks his gun for emphasis. The drifter nods diminutively. He's too weak to speak. You ain't gonna find nothing to eat here. Unless you're a cannibal and you like it well done. Anything. Morgan looks at him for a moment. This was recent. You see them sail? The drifter can't stand it any longer. He's salivating. Please. Which direction? The drifter points weakly. East? Oil trail. Morgan looks where he pointed. Sure enough, there's a narrow slick of oil receding into the distance. One of the pirate boats must have been leaking. Morgan turns back to the drifter. Okay, pal. Dig in. The drifter dives down, grabs a bone, and attacks it. Don't eat too fast. You'll get sick. Dissolve to dusk. Morgan is at the bow of the Miranda. In the background, we see the remains of Oasis receding in his wake. He's got an old rag wrapped around a stick in one hand, a compass in the other. He dips the rag in gasoline, lights it with a flint striker, tosses the burning torch ahead in the water. Suddenly, the oil trail ignites and shoots an arrow of flame along the floating bead towards the horizon. It's like a comet. Morgan checks his compass. East, southeast. Dissolve to Laszlo, addressing an assembly. It's night, and he speaks. We pull back, revealing more and more details of the pirate encampment. It's an imperfect world, gentlemen. There will always be strength and weakness. Laszlo is seated on his throne platform. Around him stand Helmet, Carlos, and Dieter. Above them is a massive water tower, the central node of the pirate flotilla. Why not be on the side of strength? We offer you an opportunity here, a last chance for redemption. You're at an age where you can still choose your own path. Huge hoses spill down from the tower reservoir like gigantic umbilical cords, sucking up fresh water from the pirate vessels that have docked to unload the latest bounty. Resistance takes so much effort. And what's the point? No one will ever defeat us. You know that in your hearts. Behind Laszlo, the sheer magnitude of the pirate flotilla is becoming evident. Hundreds of boats, the best and fastest, birthed in a haphazard town of several acres. Gaslights burn in every vessel, and shadowy figures stumble across the planks from boat to boat, bottles in hand, the sound of laughter, music, and general debauchery. Look around you, my sons. You could be part of this. And loyalty is so effortless. Do what you're told. What could be simpler? We have pulled back enough to reveal the people Laszlo is addressing. Several dozen young boys, the ones from Oasis, standing in a triangular formation. But their appearance has changed. They have been branded with the pirate triangle in their forehead. Their faces are streaked with war paint. Troy is standing at the peak of the triangle, facing Laszlo directly. Laszlo looks right at him. I offer this to you, the chance to be one of us. 
part of our family. I have a dream for us, gentlemen, that when we find Water's End, and we will find it first, that it becomes a place of strength. I see no room for sickness there, for disease, the crippled, the enfeebled, just strength. Perfect physical specimens, perfect discipline, pure strength. Do you have it in you to be part of this dream? This is the final question. Laszlo stands up. My sons will supervise your training. He leaves. Dieter moves towards the boys. It's pretty simple. Bend or break. You either join us or die. Carlos teaches you how to fight. If you survive his little seminar, you'll be halfway there. Helmet makes eye contact with Troy, who looks utterly petrified. He moves closer to him at the top of the triangle. I was standing there once. It's not so bad. On the Miranda. Morgan is taking a noon sighting with his sextant. He marks his position on a featureless map, grabs his compass and spyglass, and moves towards the mast. He uncleats a line, hooks one end to the horse's yoke, puts his foot in a loop on the other end. Morgan slaps the horse on the rump. It walks towards the stern, hoisting Morgan up the mast. He checks his compass, looking out with the spyglass. Nothing. Cut to sunset. Morgan collects the strands of kelp drying on the racks. He crumples them up and puts them into a pail, carries it over to a trough and pours some out. Dinner time. Morgan grabs a handful for himself and munches on it. He carries his pail to the kelp locker and opens it up. He starts to fill the bucket, then notices something. A long, blonde hair. Morgan holds it up, almost indiscernible at first. Immediately, he jumps to his feet and races towards the bridge. Inside, he grabs his spear gun, loads two bolts, and pumps it up. He unbuckles the sheath of his survival knife. The stern. One by one, he yanks open the lockers, thrusting the spear gun inside. He's taking no chances as he works his way forward. The bow. The forward lockers seem to be in order. He checks the shadowy recesses between pieces of machinery. There is a noise behind him. He spins instantaneously, drawing his knife. It's the horse. Morgan hesitates. He leads his horse inside the bridge, then re-emerges. Night has almost fallen. Morgan rummages in a chest for an old lantern. He shakes it to see if there's any kerosene left and lights it with a flint striker. Meanwhile, inside, we are below the floorboards. Looking upwards through the cracks, a mysterious POV. The horse clomps around directly above us. Now we see Morgan entering the bridge. As he moves around the cabin, swiftly checking all of the corners, we catch glimpses of him through the cracks. Then he disappears. We hear a board creaking. Where is he? Suddenly the planks rip open, and above us, Morgan is glaring down at us, his weapons drawn. Reverse angle. It is little Enola, cowering in a recess under the floorboards. Get out of there, you little... In that instant, Helen comes flying out of nowhere. She leaps onto Morgan's back, looping a fish-line garrote around his neck. Morgan thrashes backwards. He lashes out with his knife, but Helen deftly avoids the blade, pulling the fish line with all her might. Morgan spins around, trying to free himself with centrifugal acceleration. His face is turning red with the buildup of pressure. Helen bashes against the side of the cabin as they turn. An avalanche of fishing rods spill off a rack. Nautical instruments are flying everywhere. The horse begins to shake its head and rear, slicing the air with its hooves. It kicks Morgan's arm, sending the knife flying. It lands inches from Enola's nose as she climbs out of her hiding place. 
Helen is still choking Morgan with both hands. The spear gun fires, slamming a bolt into the starboard wall. Enola looks around for a weapon. Helen can't hold on any longer. Still weak from the pirate wound, she releases, slumps onto the ground. Stop! She's got a revolver. Enola points it at Morgan with both hands. Don't kill her! We don't want to hurt you! <sighs> you could have fooled me. It's a standoff. Morgan has his spear gun leveled at Helen's forehead. Enola is pointing the revolver at Morgan's chest. Helen clutches her side, wincing with pain. Drump it before I blow her face off. Enola hesitates. She looks to Helen for advice, but she's too preoccupied with her own discomfort. Drop yours first. Morgan presses the spear gun barrel against Helen's skin. Say goodbye. Wait, wait, wait! She lowers the gun, lets it drop at her feet. Don't kill us, please. We were attacked by pirates. They killed everybody. We're the only survivors. Morgan pulls his gun back, a beat. They stare at each other. She's wounded. Please, help us. The man, was he wearing these? He holds up the feather. Uh, yes. Morgan thinks for a moment. I unload you at the next flotilla. Until then, you do what I say, when I say it. You catch your own food. And you better start recycling your piss because I'm not sharing my hydro. Cut to the next morning. Helen's on the berth. Enola changes the dressing on her wound. I'm fine. The salt water cauterized it. Morgan leans in the doorway and calls into Enola. Let's go, girl. He slams the door. Helen and Enola look at each other. Go on, Dolphin. Everything will be okay. We still have our lucky amulets. The glass pendants still hang from their necks. Cut to the deck, day. Anola is strapped up to the top of the mast as a lookout. Morgan calls up to her from below. East-southeast. I know. I know. She looks through the spyglass. Nothing. Morgan hoists up a small green flag. Tie that up there. What does it mean? Means I have something to trade. What? You. Anola looks at him nervously. Keep looking. In the cabin, Helen is lying on the berth, patching sails with scraps of cloth. She hears the sounds of Morgan moving about outside. Helen strains to sit up straight and see what's going on outside through a small window, but her mobility is severely limited. She's obviously in a lot more pain than she lets on. Helen listens. Is he crossing to the stern? She notices a small crack in the rear wall, puts her eye to it. Morgan is rummaging through a locker. He moves out of view, comes back, he has a rope, reaches into a bin, pulls out something. God, it's a skull! On Helen. A look of horror. He's a cannibal. Now he moves aside and disappears. Helen thinks for a moment, then begins to drag herself towards the door. Outside on the stern, Morgan looks at the skull for a moment. Still has a little flesh. Pretty burnt, though. He's not going to eat it. Is he? Our hero. Jesus. Morgan grabs a steel wire, loops it through the eye socket, and ties a bowline to a thick nylon cable. He tosses the skull over the stern rail, letting the line pay out. He's trawling for sharks. Woo! Meanwhile, on the bow, Helen calls up to Enola on the mast. Come down quick! He's a killer! She uncleats the line and starts to lower her, wincing with pain from her wound. Hey, who said you could relieve her? Helen turns. She grabs an oar, brandishing it as a weapon. Stay back! Morgan marches up menacingly. Enola is dangling halfway up the mast. 
Get your ass back up there and keep your eyes glued to the goddamn scope. Helen swings the oar back and forth in warning. Hold it right there! Morgan narrows his eyes. Just then, the entire boat jerks to one side. Morgan races back towards the stern. What is it? I don't know. Quick. Helen lowers her down. The boat begins to shake. At the stern, Morgan is fighting what must be a mammoth shark. The line whips from side to side, back and forth. Morgan cleats it to the paddle wheel. He and the horse begin to reel it in. Helen and Enola come peeking around the corner, watching him. He turns, notices them. Morgan tosses Helen the spear gun. You'll only get one shot. Make sure it's in the brain. He goes back to the paddle wheel, hauling in the monster shark. Now only 50 yards from the boat, thrashing wildly, leaping out into the air. It's a nasty-looking hammerhead. On Helen. She looks at the gun. Looks at Morgan facing away, vulnerable. The shark is almost within range, five yards in closing. Helen raises the gun. Is she aiming at Morgan? No! Helen hesitates, then swings the gun towards the shark and nails him between the eyes. It goes limp. Morgan storms up to Helen, grabs the gun, and stares her in the eye. Why the fuck did you wait? A fish that size could sink us. Helen is silent. Morgan turns to Enola. Get back up in that crow's nest, girl. My name's Enola. Not to me. Cut to the cabin. Night. Morgan has cooked a fish soup. He ladles out the bowls. Thanks for sharing your catch. You helped. He passes out the bowls, but Enola refuses. I'm not hungry. She gets up and runs outside. Enola, come back here and finish your dinner. Can you get her, please? She'll be fine. Just wants some attention. Helen looks at him for a moment. You have kids? A son. He's dead. Helen glances at the life preserver racked against the wall. The ship's name Miranda is stenciled on it. Was she your wife? Miranda. Morgan turns to face her. I don't like questions. Sorry. You like talking about your husband? Enola never had a father. I adopted her. Too bad for you. Now you gotta keep her alive. Cut to the pirate camp. Laszlo is seated on his throne, surrounded by his goons. A diminutive figure cowers at his feet. He was scavenging some burning flotsam about a week ago. Said he noticed a little girl and a woman sneak onto another guy's boat. Did she have a tattoo, Drifter? The figure raises his head slightly. It's the emaciated scavenger. He looks a little better, but not much. I think so, yes. Your lordship, uh, respectfully. A little something for my services, uh, poor boar. Give him a drink. The drifter kisses Laszlo's feet. Dieter yanks him to his feet and marches him towards the edge of the platform. There's a gigantic anchor, so huge it must have come from an ocean liner. The drifter stares at it for a second. Then his expression becomes anxious. Before he can react, Dieter has clamped his wrists into iron manacles chained to the anchor. Big reward, eh? He nudges the mammoth anchor in the water with a large lever. The drifter looks down in panic as the chain pays out at lightning speed beside his feet. Then, in a flash, he is sucked <laughs> overboard, screaming. The Miranda, day. Anola calls down from the crow's nest. Look! Morgan races up. There's a flashing light on the horizon. Not a signal. It's a regular. Like sunlight reflecting off something shiny. Morgan checks his compass. Just a few ticks off east-southeast. 
It's got to be them. He lowers the Nola down from the mast. His expression is intense. Give me that. Back off. Anola retreats, bumping into something. She turns and jumps with fright. A big white nose. She's come face to face with the horse, who shakes his head good-naturedly. Anola stares at it, unsure of what to do. She reaches out tentatively to touch it. Hey, stay away from him. Anola looks him abruptly in the eye. You just pretend to be mean. But I know you really aren't. It's just because you're scared. Morgan glares at her. You don't know anything about me. And it's going to stay that way. Anola sticks out her tongue at him. He ignores her, goes back to the scope. POV through the scope. Magnified, but still indistinct. Irregular flashing. Definitely something man-made. Could definitely be a flotilla. Morgan narrows his eyes. The adrenaline begins to surge. Get your mother. I want you off this boat. What do you mean? You deaf? The ride's over. Get out of here. Enola races into the cabin. Morgan crosses to his booby-trapped barrels. Once again, he attaches the wire trigger to the hook on the lid, replaces it ever so lightly. What else? A spear gun, oxygen tank. Enola emerges from the cabin, helping Helen, who's still limping. I don't understand. You're just gonna toss us in the ocean? Morgan's eyes look possessed. (sighs) You see this barrel? There's about 400 pounds of dynamite in it. You wanna be here when they set it off? No, I didn't think so. So grab a piece of wood and get the fuck overboard. This is goodbye, gang. It was nice to know you. We wouldn't stand a chance out there. You can't do that to us. She's still hurt. You don't get it, do you? I don't give a shit about you. Anola looks hurt. What about you? You're going down with the ship? And what if I am? Anola has noticed something. She points eastward. It's gone. The flashing has stopped. Shadows suddenly disappear. Morgan looks up at the sun. It's been obscured behind an enormous gray cloud. Morgan smells the air. Strangely still, the sail motionless. The sky turns silver. The horse neighs nervously. God damn it! Move! Get inside and secure everything! They bolt. Morgan quickly straps in all his barrels, lowers the sail, and lashes it down. Inside... Helen and Enola are busy stowing things in the lockers. Morgan comes in with the horse. He clears one wall and straps the horse against it with thick webbing. He tosses Helen some rope. Tie yourself down. I'll get her. The wind begins to whistle around the cabin. The barge rolls with the growing swells. Enola climbs onto her berth and begins to strap herself down. Morgan comes over to assist her. I can do it myself. On the ocean, the winds are picking up fast. The tiny barge begins to look dwarfed by the size of the waves. It rises up 20 feet with the swells and crashes down into the troughs, spraying up white water. In the cabin, the small room begins to roll nauseatingly. The wind howls through the cracks. Morgan staggers over to a free wall and ties himself against it. The horse's tongue hangs out pathetically. Its eyes are bulging. Anola and Helen are tied to their berths and are moving in tandem with the cabin, which oscillates like a huge pendulum. Outside, it's a full gale now. The sky is deep gray. Wind hammers incessantly into the tiny vessel. Water sprays everywhere. The mast soars wildly through the air like a conductor's baton. In the cabin, a locker bursts open, sending an avalanche of cargo across the room onto Helen. She winces, holding her forehead, 
Everything is rocking like a seesaw. The noise is deafening. Helen closes her eyes. An instant later, she is leaning over, retching violently onto the floor. She opens her eyes resignedly. The horse whinnies in agony. It begins to buck and flail against its straps. Close on the straps, the webbing is old. One edge begins to give, ripping. Anola is directly in line with the horse. She takes her glass pendant off and holds it in both hands, tight against her chest. The horse is thrashing in the background. Suddenly, the straps rip. The horse comes crashing across the cabin directly towards Enola. She will be crushed. At the last instant, the cabin shifts in the opposite direction, sending the horse sidestepping away from her. It slams into another wall, ripping open several lockers. Objects spill out and bounce around the cabin floor. Morgan unties himself to secure the horse. Enola loosens her straps wisely as the cabin shifts again, and the horse is coming back. Look out! Enola dives off her berth in a nanosecond before the horse smashes against it, crushing the planks like an eggshell. Enola is on all fours. She's lost her pendant. Objects are flying back and forth through the air. Helen screams above the bedlam. Get back to your berth! But Enola has spotted her pendant on the opposite side of the cabin floor. She's crawling for it. The horse stumbles by epileptically, stomping inches from Enola's hand. Outside, the mast is whipping back and forth with the relentless wind. It bows at an unimaginable angle and snaps suddenly, smashing into the cabin. Inside, the mast comes crashing through the cabin boards, gorging a window-sized hole in the starboard wall. Morgan has managed to get the horse and himself strapped down. But now Enola's pendant slides across the floor towards the hole in the starboard side. She starts to move for it. No! Enola! Get back here! Enola is determined to retrieve her glass amulet. It's sliding towards her now. She reaches, inches from her fingers. Now the boat rolls the other way, and the pendant slides back towards the hole in the wall, stopping a hair short of slipping onto the deck. One more roll and it'll be lost forever into the ocean. Enola races across. Enola! Don't! Helen loosens her straps. She starts to sit up but winces in pain. Her belly wound is still raw. She hesitates. The room rolls again, and Enola's pendant slides outside. She leans out to reach for it. Suddenly, a flood of water sweeps past and sucks Enola outside. No! On Morgan, looking at Helen, at the hole. Smash cut two, the young boy, screaming. A hand clamps over his mouth, his green-blue eyes darting back and forth. Don't touch my son! Please! A blade comes down, blood splatters against the deck. A woman lies dead, her throat slit. Back on Morgan, an instant decision. Stay where you are, I'll get her. We are back in the present. Morgan rips off his straps and moves quickly to the opening where Enola was swept outside. Outside the hole, he peers out into the raging torrent. The wind rips around the boat, pounding it with water. No sign of Enola. Morgan ties a rope around his waist and secures the other end to a post. He dives blindly into the inky water. In the ocean, the water froths like a gigantic washing machine. Morgan is carried helplessly with waves. Hey! Girl! She is nowhere to be seen. Morgan's safety rope is stretched taut to the limit. He calls out again, this time with her name. Enola! <laughs> Here! Another 30 yards out, he's going to have to untie himself, but the instant he does so, he is sucked away from her. He's helpless against the unyielding wash. 
Morgan spots the broken mast floating to his left. It's his only shot. It takes all his strength to swim up to it. With his last surge of energy, Morgan swings the mast towards Enola. She grabs it, holding on for life. Morgan paddles against the raging waves, guiding them back to the boat, one arm against the titanic power of the ocean. On the boat, Helen is standing near the rail. She tosses out a life preserver on a guideline. It falls near Morgan, but he relays it to Enola. Helen pulls her aboard. Enola coughs up mouthfuls of water. But now a great wave lifts the mast high into the air. It comes slamming down on Morgan. He goes under. Helen and Enola stare helplessly into the oceanic tumult for signs of Morgan. Where is he? We lost him. He saved my life. We have to help him. We'll all drown that way. Enola becomes hysterical. Stop it! There's nothing we can do! Helen opens the door to the bridge cabin and guides Enola inside as she continues to struggle. In the bridge, Enola is in shock, screaming and flailing her arms. Helen forces her onto the berth, starts tying her down. Wait! 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 Quiet, Enola! Helen cups her hand over Enola's mouth. Enola seems to be trying to say something, gesturing with her arm. Helen grabs the arm and ties it down, ignoring her pleas. Enola's POV, she sees a hand struggling to claw its way onto a purchase through the starboard hole. Outside, Morgan is dangling from one arm off the starboard side of the hull. Waves crash against him, challenging his grip. Inside, the fingers are still slipping. Will Helen notice? On Enola, she wrenches her hand free and slaps Helen across the face. The drifter! Helen turns. She dives to help Morgan. Their hands come together, locking at the wrists. She hauls him aboard. Dissolve to dead calm. Balmy, flat ocean. The devastated barge floats quietly in the storm's aftermath. Morgan is busy resurrecting the mast. He's harnessed the horse and they are hoisting it up with a thick hemp cable. The green trading flag is still flying on the masthead. Morgan's face goes red with the exertion. They've got the mast to 60 degrees. One last effort now. It's up. Morgan lashes it in place. Inside, Enola is lying alongside Helen on the berth. She is teary-eyed. You said as long as we had them, we'd never be separated. What's going to happen now? You can have mine, Dolphin. It's just as lucky. Helen ties the amulet from around her neck and gives it to Enola, who looks at it dubiously. What about you? Morgan enters through the door and glares at them. He's out of breath, a fountain of perspiration. What are you doing? I told you to clean out the bilge. She's still upset. Upset? My boat's been wiped out. She almost got us all killed over a stupid pendant. Don't tempt me. I've got a bad side, and you don't want to see it. Morgan reaches out and pulls Enola from the berth. Get to work. But suddenly, Helen grabs Morgan's wrist and yanks him down to face her. Don't ever touch her like that again. I make the rules around here. You're stowaways. I usually kill stowaways. Enola begins to cry. You're just a little pirate, aren't you? Morgan raises his arm to hit her, but restrains himself. Enola has stopped crying, but now is looking at Morgan with terror in her eyes. Who is this man? Morgan stares back at her, close on Enola's eyes, going within, remembering. His son's eyes, blue and green, smiling back at him. On Morgan, he softens. Impulsively, Morgan picks Enola up in his arms and marches her outside. Helen moves to intercept him, but winces with pain, clutching her bandaged wound. 
on the deck. Enola holds on warily as Morgan carries her purposely across the deck. Where are they going? Overboard? Morgan stops at the horse. He lifts Enola up and places her on its back. Enola's expression goes through the following range. Terror, Ah. bewilderment, curiosity, intrigue, excitement, and joy, (laughs) all in about three seconds. She begins to pet the horse's mane, looking cautiously towards Morgan for approval. I knew you weren't mean. Morgan half smiles. You don't talk to people much, do you? No. What's your name? A beat. I don't need a name. On Helen. She's on her feet, watching them from the doorway of the bridge. Helen can't hear what they're saying, but Morgan clearly will not harm her child. Angle on Enola. She looks at the horse. You're from Water's End, too, right? That's where you got the... animal. I saved him from a sinking cargo ship. What do you mean, too? Enola glances at Helen for a moment. She hesitates. Helen found me when I was a baby in a boat full of earth greens and sand. Also the glass amulets. That's why they're lucky. (laughs) Morgan takes this in for a moment. Then... Why are you telling me? You can help us get back there. I'm not looking for Water's End. What? What do you mean everyone's looking for it? Not me. Don't you dream about it? Morgan shakes his head, expressionless. Close your eyes. Why? Just close them, please. It's a game. Morgan closes his eyes. Now, picture Water's End. What's the first thing you do when you get there? Morgan frowns, hesitates. He opens his eyes. Let the animal run. See? You do have a dream when you close your eyes. Do you like Helen? I don't like anybody. Too risky. You don't like me? Morgan looks at her. How can you not like this kid? You're going to help us, right? But Morgan pulls himself back. Listen, Enola. A dream is just a dream. If you really came from Water's End, then why did they set you drifting? To bring back all the searchers. Enola lifts her sleeve and points to the tattoo on her left shoulder. See this? That's a secret map. That's what we have to figure out. At this moment, Helen walks up to them and pulls Enola off the horse. I told you never to tell that to strangers. Never. Are you crazy? Cut to the bow. Night. A cloudless sky. The stars shine brilliantly. Morgan is alone, charting his position against the constellations. He lifts up his sextant. Now Helen approaches from inside. What are you doing up? I'm feeling better. I thought maybe you wanted some company. Morgan looks at her. Company? I never had a chance to thank you for saving her. Don't bother. It was crazy. I wouldn't do it again. They look at each other. What are you thinking about? We were so close to them. I could taste it. Now it's back to zero. He turns back to his sextant. Helen studies him for a moment. That's all he thinks about? Pirates? She shakes her head, looks down, tries another tack. My grandfather used to tell the stories about the Great Thaw. As the water rose, the animals went higher and higher, until there was no place left but the stars. I used to know all of their names. She looks up at the stars, thinking. She points at a constellation. Leo. That's one. He was the strongest. Helen studies Morgan's horse for a moment. Your animal. God, it's been so long. Ta... Taurus? No, wait. Pegasus, that's it. He's a Pegasus. 
Enola likes him. Yes. She likes you too. A beat. They stare at each other. It hangs there for a moment. Then Morgan looks down at his charts. Helen sighs. I want to go with you. What? Find those pirates. Morgan frowns. They took prisoners when they attacked us, women and young boys. My sister's there. That has nothing to do with me. Revenge. That's all you care about? And what if it is? That makes you just like them. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Bautista. Our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mad Max Minute. Like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute. And support the podcast by visiting patreon.com slash madmaxmin. Narration by Rick Ingham. Morgan, the Mariner, was played by Garrett Lampkin. Julia Risto as Helen. Enola was played by Ashley Serrano. Laszlo, played by David Cook. Angel was played by Luca Miller. Troy is played by Chaz McPeak. Carlos, played by Derek Alvarez. Simon, played by Andrew Latham. Dita was played by Ryan Cade. Rodney and the Cannibal Drifter were played by Yuri Lowenthal. With Helmet, played by Mitch Zander. Thank you for listening to part one of Water's End, and stay tuned for part two in the clutches of the Pirate Lord. <laughs>